streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody wants Watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for your support of Longhorn Blitz. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you for supporting the podcast. Doing it in the many ways you do. There are many ways to get this podcast, but the best way is anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button whenever you see the Horns 24-7 podcast feed pop up, and you get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Wednesday mornings. And if you'd be so kind, please leave us a five-star review. Let me bring in the rest of the team for this episode, as they are with... Uh, alongside me every episode he is the master of the soundboard the drop machine extraordinaire our lead research analyst on longhorn blitz and a daily fantasy guru he is matt butler how are you sir doing pretty well man how about you not too shabby and the third member of our team he wears many hats but for the purposes of this podcast he is our lockdown corner here on longhorn blitz lifetime longhorn 2002 ut all-american 2002 semi-finalist for the jim thorpe award fourth round draft choice of the new york giants back in 2003 spent his nfl career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B., how are you, sir? Now, I'm doing good, man. I appreciate the intro as always. Uh, and it was uh, once again A plus material. Appreciate that as always, sir. Uh, let's get into it, guys. We, as of today, we're sitting here recording this on a Tuesday, three weeks until spring practice. Uh, whichever one of you guys wants to start, what what are you, what are you most optimistic with about this team? I, I was just kind of kicking some some ideas around in my head today. Give me something that you feel like right now. That you, it's a definitive statement you can make about this team. Now you can make it in the middle of spring, end of spring, start of the season, and it's the most thing you're you're most confident, most sure about with Texas in 2024. That's good. Maybe um, that's good. Maybe back room. That is all. You're, you basically based on the sample size we have now, uh, and the culture of that room that. There won't be a drop off like we anticipated. At least I anticipated after Bijan and Rojo left. I'm sort of in this. I'm in the same vein. I was going to say just the implementation of the skill guys when when you have Sark and we know his scheme and Quinn and especially how successful Quinn and Sark's scheme has been at finding open parts of zone because you aren't going to find many teams that are just going to be able to man up and beat you 
you look at all of our previous receivers at previous stops, they can find open parts of the zone. Sark, no matter where he's been, his receivers have just totally torn it up. And that's what, when you are a coach that has a scheme based on Yak, like a guy like Shanahan, if you look at like McDaniel, like that whole tree, it's like finding your guys in space. And even though there are guys that are, say, unproven at wide receiver, I'm not worried about getting that production out of wide receiver. Wide receiver sort of like running back in certain aspects of it that you can go find the guys. But if you have the quarterback and you have the scheme and understand what they're going up against, I, I think Texas is going to be able to just put up video game-like numbers again just by throwing the ball through the air. And to receivers like uh, running backs like Blue out of the backfield, I mean, Blue was elite as a receiver last year. We've seen from Brooks to Bijan, the running back room, and – also, I mean, I like Nib like him, not a a one for one for JT Sanders, but Nib like was very successful at Alabama, and actually, though I think it was more of a because of Milrow and his skill set that he was such an elite deep threat. But I think he also has that skill set, and that can translate too. So I think Texas offense, especially with offensive line being so damn good, I'm not worried about it. Rod, I'm kind of with you. I I, I think the running back group. As a whole, that's kind of where I was leaning. Uh, you know, I started thinking about this like Sunday, Monday. That's kind of the group I was leaning to because, I, you know, if Texas does have a thousand yard rusher, like let's say Sark keeps this streak going, you know, last year I was like, I, I thought Jonathan Brooks deserved the opportunity to be that guy. Um, I, I don't know that anybody in that room necessarily deserves it, but. I just, you know, C.J. Baxter, I think, is going to get the benefit of the doubt from this staff to prove himself as that guy. You know, Jaden Blue, kind of his trajectory towards the end of the year, there really is no pressure on on a guy like Jarrett Gibson or a guy like Christian Clark. I think Trey Wisner, what he did on special teams last year, should earn him at least a look. You still got Savion Red back there. So, man, you've got – you've legitimately got four, five, six options of – somebody that can on a given day carry your run game it's they might not have that one superstar but to have that many guys that could be capable uh man that's that's about as deep as legitimately deep as we've potentially seen the running back room be around here ever i mean to, to have that many quality guys yeah i mean and it's a, like I said, there's a culture in that room right now they are they are officially you know developing an NFL pipeline because Jonathan Brooks will be the first running back taken off the board. I'm talking about high level of achievement, right? In mm-hmm. that room, a first round pick and uh, Bijan and Rojo gets drafted, and now Jay Brooks will be the first running back taken in this draft, even coming off an injury. Should have won a Doug Walker if he didn't get hurt. And to show a choice is you know not only an elite level recruiter, but it turns out man he's a hell of a coach too. Those guys. Or motivated and with the injury to Jay Brooks, weeks there was another regression that was expected, and it didn't happen. I mean, yeah. the running game pretty much picked up right where it left off. You had two different hundred-yard rushers, one game for Jaden Blue, one game for Cedric Baxter. So it's to me, I think it's it, the culture of that room more than anything. And, it, and honestly, and it it's something that was before to short choice got here is Stan Drayton was a big part of the yeah. culture in that room. I mean, you go back, Keontae Ingram's an NFL running back. I mean, that mm-hmm. room, <laughs> it's that's that's I, to me, I think if you're Sark that he started, he said the culture of his team kind of started in that room where it's a player led team. 
And I, I think, you know, now they got the talent, as you just talked about and just broke down. And I think the short choice is a hell of a coach. Sark loves the short choice too. I mean, not only he's taking him on some of these recruiting visits, they're on the, they're on the private plane together. He's using him to close deals. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I think he's, there's a, a grooming happening where either Detroit Choices said, I want to be a head coach or Sark's like, Hey man, I think you got what it takes to be, you know, a head coach or, you know, rise up in this, in this, in this coaching um, realm. So I, I, I think that to me, that's my most, I'm most confident in something. If that's what I'm most confident in, you know, second would probably be a, a Quinn's development, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's, so as you know, as Matt pointed out, with these skill positions, I mean, you're loaded. And you brought in pr- proven commodities in addition to the unproven high-level talent you have on the Forty Acres. Starts a quarterback guy. Quinn's gotten better each. He's gotten better damn near every game he's played. He's definitely gotten better each season. Uh, and other than the chemistry with the wide receivers, which is something that they could expedite. Uh, that chemistry and and continuity, they can do that in the off season by getting a lot of work in. I think Quinn's ascent, his you know leap, where he's trying to become not only a first round quarterback, but be the first quarterback taken, potentially be one one if you're the first quarterback taken. You know that that's something that he can achieve. He's got the skill set. I think that this is the year where even Sark may want to showcase that and show it off. Yeah, right. and when you go ahead, man. when you look at, I was just going to point out on top of the aspect with Quinn and just the running backs and what Rod was talking about with Coach Choice, but when you look at the complementary aspect of Blue and Baxter, like it really sort of does remind me of a young version of the way that Bijan and Rojo were being used, and Baxter has that power game, but like I was a little bit surprised to see that certain tools for guys like say Jaden blue has a pretty good pass blocking grade. Like a young running back doesn't really, you know, normally have that. That's not something that you see from a guy that you think is also say you're receiving back out of the backfield. But we saw Baxter being used in the screen game early on before he was getting injured. Jay Brooks was also a good screen guy, but like you look at the complementary aspect of their skill sets to where both guys can be utilized in the run and the pass game and both in gap scheme and zone scheme runs like they don't tip off the defense as to what you're doing and they're malleable and they can be pieces that move around so when you have young guys that are already being used that way I think it just fits even better and make it easier for whatever look you're going to give to Sark and to Quinn they've been able to diagnose it and be able to identify if it's zone man who to go to and how to be most effective and Texas was that from screen game to throwing it down the field all last season you know, I just want to go back to running backs real quick. Every year there's a couple guys in the recruiting class that I'm I'm looking at those guys to, you know, be guys that step up, have a chance to step up, have a chance to to be impact players. And Rod, we, we mentioned it ad nauseum since we've been doing this podcast. Running back is one of those positions where it's typically easier for guys to make that transition quicker. Oh yeah. I, man, I, I just look at Jarrett Gibson and Knowing that Sark kind of wants that bell cow running back, it's going to be hard for him to pass up Baxter and Blue. But I think about a guy that, from a body type standpoint, you know, five eleven ish, kind of two hundred plus pound guy, very very low tread on the tires. I mean, he went to IMG, but they're you know not having their guys carry the ball two hundred fifty times a year. 
Uh, he's got a lot. It looks like he's got a lot of tread left on his tires just in terms of the, the, the physical skills. He's as gifted as any running back in that room. I, I'm not going to be shocked at all if, if this running back room is so deep that, you know, we get to middle of the year and we're like, man, Jarrett Gibson could be the thousand yard guy in this room. I just don't want to undersell the talent that's in that room. I'm a, I'm a big Jarrett Gibson fan and Jarrett Gibson believer. Uh, I, I, I think that's less not, that's not even a knock at all on Cedric, on CJ Baxter or Jaden blue. I just think that's how good and deep this room is. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, with his just uh, grown man body that he's already got, uh, as a freshman, if, you know, he may be, some guys just have a knack for short yardage. They just mm-hmm. have a knack for running, you know, uh, whether it be in power situations or it'd be goal line situation. I mean, some guys just have a knack for finding that space, finding that sliver of daylight. And they got the body, you know, the the power in their lower body to to execute it. I just wondered, he might be one of them guys. Maybe he's, maybe that's where he finds his niche early on is when Texas is in the red zone or is in short yardage where they got a running back that they know is capable of, you know, getting the first down, that he's yeah. he's going to be able to keep his legs moving and he'll be able to get you those for sure yards because Texas is one of the places where they were, you know, lackluster uh, after, you know, Bijan and Rojo was short yardage, goal line, uh, really didn't have answers there because none of the running backs they have really are natural short yardage backs. Right. Right. I, I think that, yeah, that's, that's a great point, Rod. And, and I, I'm just, I'm thinking about ways you can get Jared Gibson involved early and maybe he does start the year as your short yardage back. One, one interesting dynamic in that backfield too, is the wildcat package. And I'm, I'm, I'm pro wildcat. I'm just going to get that out on the table. Right. I know I may have a problem with, <laughs> excuse me, some of the calls game to game, how they use that package. I'm pro Wildcat just because I like having that extra hat in the run game, especially since mm-hmm. Sark doesn't run his quarterbacks. Does does that thing have to evolve? If in other words, Rod, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the the call sheet for for a game. I'm giving you the Sark's call sheet for the Colorado State game. If you're gonna have the Wildcat on there, where does that thing need to improve? What do you need to see from it to keep it on the call sheet for games? Uh, you gotta. Man, you have to evolve it, right? You gotta, you really do have to try to throw out of it a couple of times to put it on film. Um, and I know Sark has done that, but that's that's something you have to do because you don't do it. Then to me, people disrespect the Wildcat and they just try to throw numbers in the box at you because they know 80% of the time you're gonna run it. Um, I think hell, that's got to be a time where you hand where you actually hand it off, yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, on the on the the zone read fake, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the time when you actually do have to hand it off, and whether that's and that can be, you know, essentially you can make it look like it's you know zone read, but you actually it can just be a a run play, right? A short yardage run play, yeah. Where you hand it off, everybody knows that you're handing it off, and I think you got to put that on film so that teams respect all those different elements of the play. Otherwise, they're just defending quarterback running game. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that because it did seem like it got really red run heavy. Now, early on, I, the pass to Helm in the what the Oklahoma game, yeah. no other real passes stick out to me. But if you just have the threat of the zone read or just, I mean, implement a, a little bit more mo- motion, some double motion, just things to move some backers out of the way or be able to open up some lanes because – 
I really didn't think about it until you pointed it out there, but it did seem like Red just kept it almost on all of them. It'd be something to good, be good to go look back on this year. I I think a lot of that's dependent on the guy running it too. Like it, it, it there's got to be a trust factor. I, you know, we saw the the two guys, the two Texas coaches that I felt, and I, I don't count the eighteen wheeler because that's just it's a different deal. Uh, but the two coaches that I felt made really good use of it. Uh, Brian Harson with Fozzie Whitaker running it, and that's what made that package oh, yeah. really special. Uh, and then you know when Tom Hurd, I, I thought Lil Jordan Humphrey was really good, but you've got to have a guy that that has some instincts, that has yeah. some level of football like you that you trust to make those decisions. I mean those mesh point decisions. I mean, man, we see we see quarterbacks that do it every day in practice screw some of that stuff up. So there's got to be a trust factor there. I do wonder. I mean. If Savion Red can't do that, and I'm not saying he can or can't, but if that's the reason why you can't evolve it, man, then maybe you do need to ditch it. But I, I'm just trying to think of the different ways these backs can help out. And if Savion Red's not running the Wildcat, I, I just I feel like I need that skill set. I need his talent out there somewhere. And if it's not the Wildcat, as deep as that room is, I I don't really know what it is that he can do. No, the, the simplest way for Sark to you know, maximize that room just to play more two back sets. It's simple as that. More yeah. pony package. Yeah. It's the most explosive, efficient, and effective personnel grouping that he has. Mm-hmm. You know, if you you could argue that if he'd have done it more in the Sugar Bowl, they win the damn game. Right? Yep, that <laughs> second drive. It was Blue and Baxter. You get them all back. Over seven yard per play, uh, eight yard per play, running out of the pony package. But anyway. Uh, that's the easiest way to do it. You can incorporate some of that diamond package too with the three backs. He had he used that when he had Rojo Bijan and Keelan Robinson. That's something that's pretty clever that I think you could utilize um, in situational, obviously, kind of you know, situational football. But that's the easiest way. Just to you know, you ain't got to overcomplicate it. Like yeah. that's the way to do it. Now, Sark, you you are loaded at wide receiver too. So what are you going to take away? Who's going to, you know, what package are you going to take away those reps from? I mean, to me, it would be 12 personnel. I like 12 personnel, but you ain't got JT Sanders on campus. Gunnar Helms, great, um, and he's good, but, you know, he's not necessarily a matchup advantage for you. He's not a force multiplier, and neither is Night Black. Night Black's great running vertical routes down the field, but he's not a five-tool tight end. So if I'm going to take reps away from any package, it wouldn't be 11. That's going to be his bread and butter. Um, I would take it away from 12. I would do a fewer reps of 12 personnel, and I'd throw those to multiple back sets. Yeah, and the 21 personnel, I mean, it was so explosive against Washington, but all season long, and you look at the EPA per play out of that package, I mean, it's as elite as you can get. So you would think that that'd be something you build upon because you get to bring back Blue and Baxter, and they were so good in it last year that that would be probably the best way to do it and taking it away. And also something we talked about that, we haven't seen much from Sark here at Texas, but sort of wondered if we would start to see more now that the wide receiver room is getting deeper. Because two seasons ago, with the injury to Nayor, you had guys like you could barely fill out 11 personnel. This past year, you started to see a little bit of depth, but next year, I think we could see some 10 personnel. So a lot more of 21 maybe some 10, and that would be coming at the expense of probably the 12 or at least the 13. They're probably not going to be any of those unless you're going jumbo at OL. 
Yeah, I just, you know, the more diversity you have, the, the tougher you are to defend. I know Sark says the more things we can do well, the tougher we are to defend. I, I just think you got to present a lot of different problems, a lot of different equations uh, to a defense, let them figure it out. And, Rod, what you're talking about, <laughs> that's that that's that age-old question, like no matter who the coach has been, who the offensive coordinator has been, when you talk about personnel groupings, it's like, okay, let's say you want to run, you want to have two backs on the field, right? And whether you're in 20 personnel or 21 personnel, who does it benefit you more to have on the field? Is it one of those tight ends or is it a guy like a Matthew Golden or an Isaiah Bond or a Jonte Cook? Like what, what helps you more? And it might be at different times of the game at different parts of the field. There might, you might change the answer, but more often than not, it should be. Yeah. One of those receivers. So it might be uncomfortable for Sart to run 20 personnel, but you know, that's the kind of stuff. These are the, it's the kind of first world problems that he's got to figure out. You know, how do you maximize this offense? How do you get the most out of this for out of this presumably last year you've got with Quinn? How do you get the most out of it? You you've got to maximize your personnel groupings. Those are the kinds of questions he's got to ask himself and, and have the right answers to. I don't I don't question whether he can do it or not, but um, you know, if there's a game where you know, if they lose a game in conference, or they got let's say they go to lose at Michigan, and you know the offense doesn't score enough points, and and we look up at the end of the day, and it's like, well, you know, they were a sixty percent twelve personnel team today. All right, well that that could be your answer in terms of why you lost the game. So that's the kind of stuff you need to avoid. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah, you don't want to look back and realize that you didn't maximize all your weapons at the end of the season, right? And there were opportunities that you know that that you lost out on just because you didn't necessarily as a an offensive coordinator you didn't think about the possibilities yeah yeah uh, of, of, yeah. of you know everything that these different skills and di different weapons that you have are capable of and that's why i think yeah the running back room you should break out some i mean i know it's not typical uh sark offense stuff but Man, the two back sets are great to throw out of. I mean, it, it's it, it's amazing, and actually, Matt diving into the EPA of it. But I got raw stats. It's, it's amazing how successful it's been, and it's not just Sark's offense. I got those numbers even from Tom Herman's offense. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's also part of because the running back room has been so damn good deep. Like the whole the whole point of it was because it it's been that deep. Like I said, even Keontae Ingram who transferred still end up going to the league, right? I mean, the guy that took his job was Rojo, who's in the league, and Rojo had to step aside because of Bijan, who's also in the league. You know, what I mean? yeah. and then yep. you know Jay Brooks comes in after them because he's in the league. I mean, when you got that kind of pipeline and culture in the room, like man, maximize it. And it, I so I don't think it's a coincidence that you're two back sets. Um, since Sark's been here, it has been your most explosive, most effective, and most efficient, you know, personal grouping. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I think it's where your talent's been, where yeah. your leadership's been. That's Bijan, that's Rojo, and then after that, you got Jay Brooks now coming into the fold. I, I don't, I, say, I don't think that's a coincidence. I just, and I think, but even before that, with Tom Herman, it was still the case. I think it's just the fact that if that's where you got a, you know, a a lot of talent, you have a wealth of talent. Um, an embarrassment of riches. I just think it makes sense to try to try to maximize it. And I think Sark did that. I think he should do it more though. Yeah. I think he should do it more. Yeah. And I agree with Matt. He should do it at wide receiver too. You got all these wide receivers. You got to expand your circle of trust. This is the time for you to break out that that red package you had at Alabama when you had Ruggs and the Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith 
And, you know, you had all those guys, you know, that's Jerry Judy and Matchy too. You had a, you had a 10 personnel package that you would use, but why? Because you, you had your embarrassment of riches at that position. And to me, like I said, tight end is, is a good position for you. Now you have capable, competent players there, but there you don't have game changes there. Like you do at running back and like you do at wide receiver, certain guys move the chains. You got that at tight end. But you got other guys that will change the game. And I think you got more of those at wide receiver and more of those at running back. So those, I think you should have more 10. Uh, you should have more six O-line packages just because your O-line is going to be so damn good and deep. Yeah. Yep. Your yeah, O-line is really deep. So more six O-line package. I'm all about that. I think that's something that they should explore. But more multi-back sets. I think they should break out the 10 and the red package, the one-back zero tight ends, four wide receivers. And yep, I think they should utilize more six O line packets because you're gonna have one of the deepest O lines, if not the deepest in the country. So I yeah, that's what that's why I think I would build my offensive identity. I'm building around my strengths, right? Yeah. What am I good at? Where am I deepest at? Where am I most talented at? Those are the areas where I was most talented. So that's where I'm gonna start building my offensive identity. And that perfectly fits because the things I'm describing is you know, you got a mix of power football. Um, with your multi-back sets and your 6-0 line, and you got a, a nice mixture of just blitzing the opponents with speed. And how did Sark build his offenses? Big humans inside, speed on the outside. And what we're kind of discussing here, I think that's a nice mixture of both is what he wants. Yep, and I pulled up uh, just the data real quick, and I'll keep it simple, but just to show, put the numbers on what you're talking about from football sports information solutions it was jay bud davis uh that sent it out i just undid my retweet and retweeted it for people to look at but let's just go to a baseline of texas's offense overview epa per play was at 0.08 well when we went in 21 personnel it was four times more effective at 0.32 if you look at 11 personnel it was 0.06 so you know, say it's 25% less effective than your average, still decent. But when you just see the drastic difference in the rare times, the 1% that you were in 10 personnel, but it was 1.33, just so effective. But understanding also other areas of your offense that would be very effective, because if you look at all plays with motion, the EPA per play was up to 0.10. Plays with RPOs, EPA goes up to 1.0. That's an increase of 25%. And it was something we talked about all season long, Texas against zone. And also, he's always been a guy that beats zone. It was a 0.31. That's almost four times more effective than your average play. Against man, though, it was negative 0.19. So you're talking a half a point difference per play whenever you're facing those type of defenses. So just understanding what you're facing and taking advantage of it. One thing that did stick out to me was how effective Texas was running on the outside compared to running on the inside. Running on the outside was EPA per play of 0.10. Inside runs negative 0.12. So you were drastically more effective on the outside, and that sort of fits the skill set with Jaden Blue. He busted some big runs to the outside. So hopefully after Sark dives in, all the numbers you talked about all season long, Rod, then against uh, your biggest opponent in the biggest game of the year, finding those pockets of potency and continuing to pound them home and hit it over and over and over. Good stuff. You know, we one guy we haven't talked about in this equation is the guy pulling the trigger and 
are either of you guys at the point where you feel like Quinn Ewers has established that baseline where, you know, games like Oklahoma State or TCU from 2022, that that's not, it's not expected that he's going to have one of those. He might. I mean, who knows? But you guys at the point where you feel like Quinn's established the baseline? Yeah, I sort of was this whole past year. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there is a certain, maybe it's just my expectation level, but I think I've noticed a baseline of him. I mean, it's, I would like him to, um, to really elevate the baseline of his play. I think mm-hmm. that's the, the whole point this year, but mm-hmm. I think it is. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it, it, it's as, I, I would like his baseline to be a little bit more advanced, but I, I do think there is a, a baseline. Um, um, but I think if he wants to be the first quarterback taken overall, he's got to, like I said, he's got to elevate that. It, it, it's hard for me to, to put this into words because I'm kicking it around in my head. And I don't know, Rod, Matt, maybe you guys can help me find the right words. But I feel like what Quinn is is moving from, moving from the Big 12 to the SEC, I feel like what he's not going to see where he's getting a break in defensive structure. I was like, whether you think, you know, John Haycock or whoever it is in the big 12, you know, where there's some structurally sound defenses in the big 12, Mm -hmm. but the sec, it might be defenses that are more navigable, if you will. But the the trade-off is, those windows might close quicker, not because of the structure of the defense, but just the caliber of athletes you're facing. You guys get what I'm trying to say? I don't know if I'm articulating it all that well. No, I get what you're saying. I I think the SEC has started, though, to trend a little bit more. Like you saw a lot more, I'd say, in the last two years of more evolved defensive schemes, like three safety looks. It isn't necessarily playing, you know, defense in a phone booth the way it used to be. But, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. You're talking about just playing against more elite actual players, but schematically not necessarily schemes that had to evolve the pass or to defend the modern offenses the way Big 12 defenses had been a little bit more advanced in that regard. To an extent, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's it's, – I mean, now Georgia's of the world have both, right? I mean, right. Kirby Smart exactly. is running concepts advanced as anybody um, because of how he studies the game. But I don't know if – I'm with you. On, I mean, I think I think half them they have to schedule Texas play teams uh, utilize the three high, three down <laughs> defense against mm-hmm. them. Some of it, that's what they ran um, as part of their uh, defensive identity, and some of them just adapted to that because I think yeah. they did some research and figured out – Against Sark, that's probably the best defense that matches up with his offense, even though I, I believe he has figured out an antidote mm-hmm. uh, to it, which we've talked about. But, yeah, I'm with you. I know exactly what you're saying, that those defenses in the Big 12 are tough to decipher, man. They are because that's the way the Big 12 gets its advantages, through scheme and through, um, you know, an X's and O's advantage. You know, a lot of the schematic uh evolution uh, that we've seen in football period has come from the big 12 which your three high three down your air raid um a lot of your best football minds uh from in terms of in this you know basically necessity is the mother of invention right it's like they they needed to do it because they didn't have the athletes in the sec they had the athletes and when you have the athletes 
sometimes it's not a lazy philosophy, but as a coach, you figure, hey, man, I, mm. I just got to turn it into a one-on-one, and my yep. guy is better than your guy. And I can, I can, and we did that back in the day when I was at Texas. Like, hey, man, if we can scheme up one-on-ones, our guy's going to win. That's why we play a lot mm. of man-to-man defense. And they play more man-to-man defense in the SEC because they have the athletes too. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think if you're right about the philosophy thing, he's going to face – better, faster athletes, and that's, that's exactly what the NFL wants to see, him going up against NFL-caliber guys. Yep, and that's where it'll be interesting to see just because, like, when you look at some of the areas that Texas say wasn't as efficient last year, and if you were to look at the gap scheme runs compared to the zone scheme runs, they weren't as effective. And even in the Washington game, if you go look at zone blocking runs, it was a EPA of a positive 0.05 against gap. It was negative 0.02. When, like I mentioned before, the outside runs was positive 0.10 neg- inside runs was negative 0.12. And if even in success rate zone blocking and outside were 47% success rate inside runs was 41 gap blocking was 42. And the one thing, when you look at traditionally, I mean, the last five years, Texas has always had more zone scheme runs than gap scheme runs. But when you look at just what Baxter and blue did, it's actually about 50, 50 Baxter, 69 gap scheme runs to 66 zone scheme runs. And Jaden blue was at 35 zone 29 gaps. So you're talking a difference of only three right there. So that's a lot more than say Jonathan Brooks was 101 zone to 86 gap. And if you look back at Bijan and Rojo, it was, you know, even more glaring. It was like 60 to 65%. So we started to see Texas be a little bit more gap heavy. And that's actually something they were less effective against, against good competition in going into the, SEC, that's going to be something that you may have to reevaluate the utilization of those guys and how they'd be most effective because they are going to probably fit or be facing, they're definitely going to be facing better interior defenses and ones that when you talk about manning up against each other, they're going to be good. Now, Texas overall, I was a bit surprised in, in against Washington against a light box. It was a negative point oh. Overall on all plays And when you look at against a heavy box And against a six man box It was six man was .10 And heavy was .08 So it was seen when you're facing A light box and you weren't as Effective sort of shows that maybe Your guys weren't moving people around As well as you would like them to Because you would think they would may actually Be more effective in those situations You know maybe there's a year That I'm forgetting but off the top of my head, when I look at the schedule and I just look at some of the defensive personnel and what the defensive expectations are for some of these teams on the schedule, I mean, it's been a minute since you had a Texas offense see the caliber of personnel they're going to see on this schedule. I mean, when you go talk about Michigan game two, yeah, they've lost some pieces, but they still got some pieces. It's a real intriguing year for Oklahoma because they've got a lot back and it's year three inventable system obviously we know rod you mentioned it what georgia brings to the table they've got elite scheme and elite talent uh you know florida even when it hasn't clicked for them they've usually got at least a couple of nfl caliber pieces on defense and then you go to the end of the schedule uh you know your last two games kentucky under under mark stoops mark stoops is kind of like bizarro mike leach you know whereas mike leach you know you always had to worry about tech they're always capable of beating you but they wanted to beat you you know 45 42 
Mark Stoops has kind of done that with Kentucky where they're they're capable of beating you, but they, they want to beat you more like 10-7 or 13-10, just kind of playing that run game defense, kind of old school gritty style. They always play good defense. And then who knows where Mike Elko is going to have that A&M defense at the end of the year. So now top to bottom, it's a, it's a really good challenge, you know, from start to finish for this offense. If they, in other words, if we're talking about Texas – at the end of the year, being one of the truly elite offenses in the country, a playoff caliber offense, damn, they they, they would have earned it this year. Definitely, yeah, no, I'm with you. I totally agree with you. It's a I, the what I like about you know the schedule, and I've talked to some folks about this. You know the the elevation in skill, talent, and the elevation in the trenches of, you know, trench play. You talk about it all the time, the SEC being a line of scrimmage league. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't wait to see how Texas adapts to that. You know, it's going to be, you got, and and the beautiful thing about it is, Sark talks about how he built the offense. He didn't say he built it to conquer the SEC. He didn't know anything about the the SEC, he says, in the move when they they, uh, recruited him to Texas. But he talks about how he said the college football playoff and he built the team with speed on the outside, a big humans on the inside. And that's that just happens to be how the, the SEC <laughs> is built yeah. and all those teams speed on the outside and mass on the inside. So I just can't wait to see how his vision, how it, it acclimates and adapts to the SEC. I think I think it is. I think it's going to be it's a it's a perfect uh, construction of a roster, at least the philosophy is heading into the SEC, whether he meant it or not. And it, Quinn Ewers, you know, like I said, he's if Quinn Ewers takes the step that we all believe that he will and becomes a quarterback who can, you know, have better second reaction plays and get deeper into his progression before he decides to scramble or check it down and prove, because he, he can make all the throws and he's got all the raw materials to be an elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but at times, and I've seen him put the cape on, but I that's what he's going to need to do more of. You want to be 1-1 one, one taken. You got to show you can put the cape on. Caleb Williams did in front of Longhorn fans and mm-hmm. at, at, at the Texas OU game as a freshman and brought that team back after being down with three touchdowns. That's why he's going number one overall because – People have seen him put the cape on, and that's what everybody wants. A guy that can can do that because that's the that's the standard right now in the league is if you want to be a franchise guy, I need him to be able to put the cape on every now and then mm-hmm. and put this franchise on his back. And that's what Patrick Mahomes can do. That's what we've seen Joe Burrow do at times. You know, that's what a regular season Lamar Jackson can do. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, you know, but that's 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 what you want. You want that guy that has that that ability, and he has it in him. And I think Quinn almost needs to show this season that he's got the ability to put the cape on and just take over a game. And I've seen him do it. We've seen him take over, you know, games at Alabama game. We're on the road, Tuscaloosa. That was awesome. Um, you know, the Al the Alabama game at Texas. That was great. The, the last three quarters of the Texas OU game. The Texas Big 12 OU game in 22, game. Big 12 title game. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I just, he's, it, they want to see it more from him, and they want to see it in spectacular fashion. Um, that's that's how you go number one overall. That's why yeah. Caleb Williams is going number one overall. That's usually yeah. part of it. 
And I'd even throw in the second half of the Washington game. It was just a couple fumbles that limited those drives. It was nothing Quinn did. Quinn, he brought down basically like five straight scoring drives other than those turnovers. And like you're saying, uh, the, put the cape on thing in a Sark offense, though, is a little bit different. I'd say just because like sometimes when you have these timing offenses, like the way say, McDaniel in Miami, the way they use Tua, like getting the ball out. And Quinn's a guy that has that dual threat ability. We've seen it with like runs that he, he was able to go and pick up first downs in the OU game. You see him understanding down scenario and being able to run. Well, we saw his explosive TD runs, what against like say, Baylor against Kansas and then we saw him use his feet at times against Washington I think uh, injuries like after his the Alabama injury two years ago he really didn't want to risk the injury late in that season and that season was a lot different than this past one but then even in that Houston game whenever he had lowered his shoulder and then had the shoulder injury made me sort of think that you know Sark under, uh, probably had some conversations about, you know, first off, my offense is to get the ball out on time to these spots, and then we need you to be healthy to be able to be there for the Okie State, you know, Big 12 championship game for the potential bowl game or playoff game. And in those games are the games where we did see a little bit more of his full skill set. But yeah, I would just him being able to come through with the clutch throws, I'd say not ever missing being barely off on throws when a guy's open, if you hit every single receiver, whenever guys open, it's just like when you get to that point of consistency, like the way you didn't have to worry whenever it was upperclassman Colt, if a guy was open, the ball was in there, you knew it was going to hit him and he was going to give the receiver a good shot. Can't have any errant throws on third downs. Things like that would be so big because I think his skill set sort of has proven he's that, you know, first round talent. All those other put the cape on type things are you coming through in the clutch for your team and not having any type of mistakes. It seems like he's already got past the mental mistakes. Now it's up to the physical aspect of it and coming through on every single play. I'll, I'll take a little bit of a different spin on what you said, Rod, and maybe not necessarily the one-one type guys, although they do fit what I'm about to mention. But I think in my lifetime watching college football, when I think about you know Heisman winning quarterbacks, uh, you know I can go take it back to. Ty Detmer at BYU, uh, Danny Werfel, uh, guy, even, you know, Tebow, Bradford, let's go on and on. The the guys that OU's run through there, Joe Burrow, whether you're talking about those guys or the, the Charlie Wards or the Vince Youngs or the Cam Newtons that were just kind of, you know, aliens at the position, it all comes down to mastery of the offense is really what you're mm -hmm. talking about to take that next step. And like you said, Matt, Sark's, putting the cape on the Sark's offense is a little bit different. And I would almost compare it to maybe more so like Joe, what Joe Burrow did with Joe Brady. I mean, look, we, we weren't, we weren't going into that 2019 season thinking Joe Burrow's a Heisman guy. I mean, I remember we did, we did a podcast leading up to that mm -hmm. game and we were all convinced, not just us. I'm talking about nationally. Everybody was convinced Texas had the quarterback advantage going into that game. And it's not like Sam, yeah, it's not Ellinger's like, uh, Heisman odds were better than Burrow before that yeah. game. And it's not like Sam was bad in that game at all. He threw for, what, over 400 yards? It's just, yeah. man, Joe Burrow made those one or two plays that he had to make to put his team over the top. And, uh, Rod, that might be me oversimplifying what you're saying, but I think that's just, can, can that's it. Can Quinn be an extension of Sark on the field and understand, basically get, get inside 
his play caller's head and say, okay, if Sark was on the field, kind of what would he expect on this third down? And it, sometimes it might be getting the ball to the right place. Sometimes it might be, I mean, you've got to use your athleticism to account uh, for the unblocked defender. Sometimes it's just getting the offense out of a bad play and getting them into a good play. It's just that mastery of the offense is naturally, if he gets that, then the natural skills Quinn has should take over. And if that all that happens, then, yeah, once we get to November, we'll be talking about a guy that has to do X, Y, Z to, you know, get to New York and be a finalist for the Heisman. Totally agree. Yep, that's exactly right. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. I guess that's as good a place as any to end this. We'll talk. Uh, think about next week, guys. We'll take the opposite approach. Things that concern you, and I already know where I'm going with this. It's a term, Rod, you gave me many years ago that I still I've kind of pulled the CDC routine on. I've done R and D, ripped off and duplicated it, uh, and we'll, we'll get into that next week when we talk about concerns. Because next week when we record, we'll be two weeks out from the start spring football so we'll get to all that next week but uh, this is as good a place as any to end this week's podcast matt thanks for everything man you're more than welcome rod we appreciate the time and the knowledge sir anytime brother anytime for matt for rod for everybody at 24 7 sports the 24 7 sports podcast network and the horns 24 7 podcast feed where you get each and every episode of longhorn blitz when it posts on wednesday just search horns 24 7 anywhere you get your podcasts that's horns 247 no dashes slash or spaces click that follow button when the feed pops up to get longhorn blitz and thanks to matt get all of our archives our classic interviews and shows are available on the longhorn blitz soundcloud page yep just type in longhorn blitz for the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Good stuff, fellas. That was good good oh, show, yeah. guys. Yeah, good job, guys. Good Appreciate y'all, man. All right, we'll uh, we'll do it again next week. Thank Thanks, you, Rob. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, fellas. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.